Three episodes in and we're already just getting started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Stuck In My Thoughts podcast. As always, I'm your host and three-time All-American high jumper, Justin Stuckey. In today's episode, we have a great special guest with us today. He's the founder and CEO of the greatest NIL app known to man right now. Just throwing that out there. He's also a former student athlete at Montevallo University, uh, Division II Baseball. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Jim Caval. Man, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, been able to check out some of your episodes, and I'm actually really excited right now about what we're about to do. Oh, yeah. We're going to get right into it. So let's go ahead and get on the first topic, NIL. Everybody knows what it is. It's a game changer right now in college athletics. You started your app, Influencer, before NIL was passed. What did you see in that industry that made you want to take that risk and go attack that industry? Well, first of all, I'm a risk taker. I like risk. Um, it starts with the fact that I'm from New York and I came all the way down to Alabama to play baseball at the University of Montevallo. Who does that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. A thousand miles, no car, no cell phone, early 2000s. But it changed my life taking that risk, being on my own, playing sports changed my life, being a college student athlete. And so for me, um, I was running a completely different business in the mid 2010s. Uh, Iron Tribe Fitness, which okay. actually was founded here in Birmingham. Me and my business partner had built it to about 40 locations nationwide, uh, starting here in Birmingham and going all the way to Seattle, Miami. And uh, one of our members is Greg Sankey, okay. who's the commissioner of the SEC. Shout out SEC. Yeah, you know, it just means more. Yes, sir. And, um, and so uh, Commissioner Sankey is also from Syracuse. Did you okay. know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah, so both of us are from Syracuse. I'm going to make that connection when I meet him. And we both live in Birmingham. A lot of people think that we're in the witness protection program, <laughs> but we're not. We work in sports. Um, so Commissioner Sankey starts telling me about the O'Bannon case. Okay. Um, and that gets me really thinking about like, wow, that's an interesting story. Ed O'Bannon, who won a national championship at UCLA in mm -hmm. the 90s during my time growing up, had become, you know, a fizzled out pro player and was selling cars in Vegas. And, and his boss says, come home for dinner. And so Ed O'Bannon, 6'10", MOP of the national championship, March Madness, 10 years later, selling cars in Vegas, goes to his boss's house. And they're sitting down on the sticks playing some NCAA basketball oh, yeah. with his boss's son and Ed. And Ed starts playing the game with his own likeness because they have the UCLA legacy team. Mm -hmm. and he's like, wait, how am I playing this game with myself on there, but I'm selling cars and not getting paid for this. Yeah. And so when his head comes around, he's like, I need to sue the NCAA. And 10 years later, he wins and beats the NCAA and the Supreme Court. Well, Commissioner Sankey had told me about the case. I started to study it. I started to meet with him, have coffee, ask him questions, meet with other people that worked in college sports, ask them questions. And here's what I could tell. This was not going to be anything but disruptive for all of them. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of uh, Napster. You know what Napster is? No, sir. I'm not familiar with Napster. Go on, give it to people. This is Napster. like this is like one of those social media things that the schools do, where they get the young athletes to look at stuff from the '90s. Like they show them a picture of Saved by the Bell, and oh, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm here on Saved by the Bell, <laughs> Full House. Yeah. Um, so, so Napster is a file sharing system that came out in the late '90s. I think it was 1998, and uh, what happened. Is, is basically this guy, Sean Parker, a disruptive entrepreneur out in the West Coast, made it so that people like me could share songs, MP3s, mm -hmm. with other people online without anybody paying for the music, all right? Okay. And so it really is the beginning of music streaming. And 
Columbia Records and Arista Records and all the big record labels are pissed. They're like, they're selling, they're basically giving away our artists' music. Artists are pissed too, mm-hmm. without anybody paying for it. And this went on for years. And all these record labels took Napster to court. They went on these anti-piracy tirades. And none of them really won. And when they finally did, what they really lost was opportunity cost. Because if Columbia would have said, you know what? Let's buy Napster and become the first record label that streams and figure out how to make our artists money online, they would have won. Instead, a lot of these record labels shut down. They couldn't figure out how to make money in the early 2000s. And it took an entrepreneur from outside the space, Steve Jobs, to create iTunes and help show record labels and artists how they could still make money off of streaming music. Right now, today we have Spotify and mm-hmm. you know Apple Music, which was iTunes and all that. This is like the same thing. All of the leaders in college athletics did everything they do to fight and claw and stop NIL from happening instead of embracing it and creating a system where athletes could get their share if they wanted to take the opportunity and do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... Um, for me, that whole story, that correlation to Napster and music streaming really led me to a place where I said, you know, I'm going to start building a business in college sports, and I'm going to start by just helping athletes with social media, because that was already a big thing. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that and get schools to pay me for something that will help kids, and, and when they get to college, student athletes be better with their brand, who knows how much trust I'll have by the time NIL gets here to build something to help with that too. And that really was the vision I had that became Influencer. And so I sold my portion of Iron Tribe in 2016 to my partner. Mm -hmm. In 2017, I launched Influencer, and it was simple. It was an app that helped athletes get access to every picture and video shot of them by the media, by their school, all through the Influencer app. And as they got that content, they had the right to share it to their Instagram, their Twitter, their Facebook, their Snapchat. We did that for four years before NIL started. And by the time NIL started, we had a couple hundred schools already paying us for that software. Oh yeah, and now you're over 100,000 student athletes, so you definitely have grown. And from my time at Sanford, you know, we got introduced to the influencer app, and we were we were using something else previously. But when influencer came in, we were like, man, this is a game changer. Like easy access, we get tagged in our photos, videos, anything that content related for us was good. Then when NIL got introduced, the easy transactions, different knowledge, we had all types of former collegiate athletes now in the NFL or NBA having those segment videos telling us how to do different things. And it just opened our mindset to a, a wider variety that we didn't know was out there. So no, shout out to you. Do you, do you want to come sell for us? Oh yeah. We can, we can talk about it <laughs> after the episode. We can talk about that. Cause that was a really good pitch. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we know NIL, especially for me, from a collegiate athlete standpoint, I view it as very positive, but NIL also gets maybe a bad rap sometimes. You know, you get, heard as as like the free agency of college athletics how do you feel about that negative light on nil as a whole listen it's not a perfect system and i'm not going to sit here and say it is it's a lot different than i think a lot of us including me thought it would be um there's really two parts to nil there's traditional nil which we've seen for years with celebrities and pro athletes and that's you know starting a podcast and monetizing it with ads it's selling t-shirts and having a merch business. It's doing endorsements on social media or in a video commercial for a company. Um, It's the NIL we all expected. The other NIL, the non-traditional NIL, is where collectives of donors are funding an entity that they've created um, to really get athletes to maybe sign autographs or make an appearance at a dinner and pay them a lot of money to do it. Uh, But, you know, 
you got to remember, we, we didn't embrace it, meaning college athletics leaders didn't embrace it. And, and so it's opened up the door for those kinds of things to happen. And, um, you know, the free agency thing you brought up, that's more of a transfer portal aspect, mm-hmm. not NIL, but the two together are like dynamite because now you can be a free agent every year if you're a college athlete. Now, I'm not that old, but I am old. <laughs> when I played college sports, every year you had to re-sign your scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like you could lose your scholarship. Not anymore. Not only can you not lose your scholarship unless you, you know, violate some values and policy, you can become a free agent in the transfer portal on an annual basis. And because of NIL, you can kind of test the market. Now, recruiting inducements aren't allowed by the NCAA with NIL, meaning a school can't talk to a portal mm-hmm. student athlete who might transfer from another school. And they also can't talk to a high school student athlete who may sign as a recruit and promise them a deal. But we all know that there's ways for them to still do that without them doing it. Yeah. And so athletes, you could argue that even you know, a Heisman Trophy winner should think about not coming back to the same school right away and just going into the portal to test the market. That's mm. what it's become. And I'm not saying that that'll uh, happen this year or next year, but that could happen over time. And that's just a result of a lot of things that got us here. Coaches' salaries have become more and more inflated over the years. Coaches have told their teams they'll never leave. And then the next morning you wake up and the coach left to take a bigger job with a bigger salary. So it's hard to argue the transfer portal isn't right when coaches can leave anytime they want. It's hard to argue that athletes shouldn't make money with their name, image, and likeness when coaches and staff make as much money as they do. So we, we got here not because of any other reason than we had actions that set the foundation to get us here. Yeah, NIL and the transfer portal specifically definitely tie in together nowadays. I was in the portal transitioning from Sanford, and while I'm taking those visits, NIL is a big topic that comes up in the recruiting process. And, I, and honestly, it's not a negative thing to me. It's just the reality of where college athletics is right now. And so I like the way it's growing. You know, you may have people who take advantage of it in certain ways. But overall, I feel like it's very impactful for the student athletes, especially from people who may have crazy talent but come from backgrounds that are not so good. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's a way for them to be able to help themselves, not only themselves, but their family down the line. And so take advantage while you have it. Yeah, and then on the other side, you know, I think that there is a topic a lot of people aren't talking about right now, and that is the lack of education that a lot of student athletes have about these topics and about what's best for them. I think right now we are in the golden era of being a student athlete. So just for perspective for fans out there, student athlete can get a check for what's called cost of attendance. It's kind of like a stipend to help support your student athlete experience, spending money, stuff like that. If you perform well in the classroom, you can now get a check for educator related benefits and get up to three grand a semester. Austin money. Appreciate you. Austin. Uh, that's a recent Supreme Court case where um, educator-related benefits are now allowed from the school to the athlete. These two checks, by the way, are tax-free. So you pay no taxes on it. Um, so you can make five figures, about you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 grand on cost of attendance. And then you got educator-related benefits. And then you've got um, some student-athletes who come from very uh, underprivileged situations. They can get a Pell Grant, okay? Which also is, is you know, obviously tax-free money to help support your college uh, experience. And now you got NIL, which you do have to pay taxes on, but is a whole new revenue stream if you have the performance on the field or track uh, along with influence on social to be able to command 
uh, some NIL dollars. That's a lot of money you can make, and most of it's tax-free. If student-athletes become employees, oh, by the way, before I keep going, you also get a free tuition, unlimited gear in most places, unlimited food, chefs. It's a great experience. Mm -hmm. If student-athletes become employees, number one, you are going to see a really big change in how tuition is looked at. Most schools are going to require student-athletes to pay their own tuition. Can you imagine that? Uh, One pair of sneakers, after that, you're going to pay for every additional pair of sneakers. One strength coach, after that, you're all going to share the cost of the additional strength coaches. Um, you, You don't perform well, you will be fired. You'll be asked to leave. Like, it'll be a completely different experience. So I'm not a big fan of student athletes becoming employees. I think it's the best it could be right now. I do think that media revenue sharing is something that could work, but I'm, I'm just, I just want to make sure like student athletes don't have anyone collectively bargaining for them. Pro mm-hmm. athletes do. And student athletes need the education. And eventually we need somebody that's going to go out and collectively bargain on behalf of the student athletes for what's best for them. And NIL, educated related benefits, the perks of college athletics, um, you know, education, all that stuff. It's a really great combination right now. I got you. So let's go from straight NIL to back to just college athletics in general. You just mentioned you feel like college athletics is really at its golden age right now. And you being a former collegiate athlete, Division II baseball in Montevallo, your experience there, obviously NIL wasn't a thing, but you come down from New York all the way to Alabama, very small town. Montevallo is like 15 minutes where I'm from. What do you feel like your experience was as as a Division II athlete? And do you feel like division matters because there's a lot of athletes out there it does and um i'm not gonna i'm not we got division one athlete on set we got division one athlete talking to me so i'm not trying to throw shade division one athletes but i do think i do think division one or division two athletes are built a little different and you know what you went to samford so Mm. you you didn't go to you know an sec school but when you're on tv all the time when you got everyone making your schedule doing everything for you it's a lot different mm-hmm. um, because you're playing for some glory. Um, in Division Two, you're really playing because of passion for the game. Yeah. And you know, in baseball, uh, we don't play a three-game series over three days on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We don't have the money to do that. So the first day we play a doubleheader, and then the second day we play one game. We get up in the morning, we put the tarp on the field the night before, we take the tarp off the field in the morning, we go back to the calf, we eat, we go back to the field, take BP, and the other team takes BP, we take infield, they take infield. Then we play two games with a little box lunch in the middle. Then we put the tarp back on the field at night. You're out there for 15, 16 hours. And that's just a conference weekend. Mm-hmm. D- and there's no glory. We're not on TV. Yeah. You know. So I, I think Division II athletes and even small Division I athletes um, have an extra grit and passion to them that they can leverage at the next level. I love hiring those athletes. At the same time, Division I athletes have the ability to perform under pressure that I don't understand, playing in front of huge audiences with a lot of things at stake. And there's a lot of uh, great character that comes from that that can be applied later in life. But for me, man, going down to Montevallo uh, was, was amazing. That place was like a little canvas for me. And um, I learned so much down there. Baseball was just a really small part of it. Mm-hmm. Became an entrepreneur down there. I started a broadcast network. Oh, yeah. We covered all the basketball games outside of when I was playing baseball. Um, we made a film, a 70-minute film, uh, about the, the basketball team's turnaround from four wins to a conference championship, uh, where I traveled to New York City, to Brooklyn, and Phoenix, and all these cities to cover the stories of all the players on that team. 
And, uh, and, and it was just a great experience and it really set the foundation for my first business that I started building once I graduated. So um, best decision I've ever made in my life was going to Montebello. Shout out to the Falcons if y'all watching this one. <laughs> so what would you say to a kid coming out of high school trying to play in college, no matter the division, division one, division two, II, division three, in an IA JUCO, what do you feel like you would say to a high school athlete just trying to play in college? Yeah. I think number one, um, you need to understand it is a job. You are not going to go on spring break. Probably um, you're going to, you know, have to sacrifice and not do a lot of the things that maybe your friends or your friends and fraternities and sororities, especially are going to be doing. Um, it's going to be the main thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that, uh, you're going to learn discipline. You're going to learn how to be a great teammate. You're going to learn leadership. Um, you're going to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, you know, based on whether or not you get a scholarship or, you know, coaches tell you what playing time is going to be and all that stuff varies. But those things are going to be the most consistent things and it will set you up. Uh, you're going to meet a lot of people because you play a sport at that university that want to talk to you, that want to be introduced to you, that will take your phone call, that will respond to your email, or your DM, and you can really start to develop a network and connections that will give you a head start for whatever you want to do after you're done. But uh, it is a big commitment. Yeah. That's, hey, y'all take this advice out here. He's giving y'all some good pointers. So reading your bio, you have a lot of uh, news on you out there. And so I read your bio on your website, and you talked about how, you know, some of your other teammates went on to professionals and things like that. But God led you down a different path. And from reading that statement, you know, just told me that you're a Christian. So we want to move to the faith aspect. We yeah, always yeah, try yeah. to bring this up on my show. So just kind of tell me what... Tell the viewers mostly, what led you to your faith in general? Yeah, so uh, I, I grew up in New York. My parents um, had a, a rocky uh, season of their marriage right after I was born. And um, for a while there, they were separated. And my great-grandmother from Italy, um, she had never read the Bible. She was Catholic, devout Catholic, but you know, she had never actually read the Bible in, in, in her old age, 86. She has a pastor take her through the Bible and just changes her life. And so my dad, when he left my mom, lived with her. Mm. And she said, you can live with me and go out and do whatever you're going to be doing at night, but you're coming to church with me on Sundays. And so my dad started going to church with his grandmother, my great-grandmother, and God spoke to him, and, and he ended up getting saved. And my mom and dad ended up like repairing their marriage as they both mm. got saved um, at the same time and found their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. And I watched all that as a young kid. And then my mom got sick and she ended up being sick my whole life until mm -hmm. she passed when I was 30. Uh, she had kidney disease. She also had cancer later on and, and died of ovarian cancer. But she was a picture of perfect health. She was in the gym as a trainer, working out three days a week. The other three days, a lot of times she'd be on dialysis. Nobody ever knew she was sick. Nobody ever knew about her kidney transplants. She was such a tough woman. And I saw how her faith gave her the fuel to be like that. And so it wasn't just that I, I saw them come to Christ and repair their marriage. I saw her live it for decades. And, and of course, as I grew up and went through my own conflicts and failures and successions and everything, came down to Alabama on my own. My mom, you know, God really worked through her to bring me closer to him. And now that she's gone, you know, he does that through my father, through my, my family. But, um, you know, so that's a, a really, really big part of my story. And 
I don't think I ever would have went to Montevallo um, if I didn't have faith because it was a big move. All my mm -hmm. friends are in the Northeast going to Ivy League schools and schools that, you know, you've, you know, heard about. I never heard of Montevallo, but I had a common friend that had gone there, got drafted by the Yankees, and he sold it to me, and I took a risk because of my faith. And I take most risks today because of my faith. That's impactful right there. This kind of shows you how, you know, your roots and your upbringing kind of molds who you are. And that's a great thing. And I love talking about people's faith on my show because it just kind of shows you, you know, what people are instilled of. Faith goes a long way. It's just, it's more than just a word. Like, it's who you are. And that just kind of brings me to the next point. From your transition from Montevallo and you're going into your career, how do you feel like God and your faith kind of guides your step as you're tapping into your career and continue to strive to be the best you can be? Well, here's the thing. No matter who you are watching this, listening to this, we all have things we want to have happen. We pray about them. Sometimes we do what we're supposed to do, which is God says, says, pray to me desperately and ask me for anything, right? Like we can ask him with desperation, dependence, but then he doesn't deliver. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he give me this? I wanted to, you know, marry this partner uh, or I wanted to get this job or whatever it is. I wanted to make this team, get this scholarship offer, whatever. And when it doesn't happen, what you realize is God takes you to a place that you never would have chosen to go to yourself. And by taking you to that place, you go on a different path you never would have chosen that ended up being better. And so whether it's my marriage happened that way, whether it's where I went to school, whether it's my mom, I never would have chose for my mom to pass when I was 30, right? But like these things have taken me to a place where now, and you got to got to get older like me to really think this way. It takes time because you can't, it's hard at 20 to see this. But at 40, now I'm like, when things don't go my way, I'm like, man, I hate this. This sucks, but I know you got this thing rigged, so I'm going to follow your lead. And I'll, hopefully I'll always be a little bit more faithful because you can never have enough faith. Mm -hmm. But he just proves it to me. I, I struggle with, I understand that everybody doesn't believe in in Jesus. And you have really three choices. He was either real and he is who he says he is, he's a savior, or he was a liar, um, or he was crazy, right? Like one of those three things. We all got a decision to make. We should think about that decision. But number two, like, I just wonder what it's like not having faith. Like, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what I would do, where I would go without the hope I have in God and his plan. I'd be pretty hopeless. Facts. Facts. So... And, and we're in a hopeless time right now, unfortunately, in our mm -hmm. society, uh, because we're depending on political leaders and, and other people that just can't solve our problems, man. Only love can solve problems, and none of us are perfect. But when we have the love of Christ in our life, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, last thing I'll say, that's probably the thing that I want to spend most of my time on in, in my, my next half of my life, if I'm lucky to live that long, blessed to live that long, is like, Christians are not really known by their love. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should be known by. And we're living in a time where people need to be loved. Yeah, you, you make it this podcast good. That's great. <laughs> I, I, that's great right there, man. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's great to see, hear everybody's perspective and different sides sure. and giving the inspiration to the people out there in the world. So we appreciate that. Now it's time for the Dropbox questions. And that's closing segment to my show. And these are some of the questions that People out in the world are very curious to know from your point of view. Like, we need to, we need to hear these yeah. things. So first question, how are you able to manage a healthy 
work and home life balance, family balance. You're, you're very busy. You have a lot of things going in your work life. How are you able to balance that? It's all about intentionality. You got to have a, a, a plan for the year, a plan for the quarter, a plan for the month, and a plan for the week and day. And you got to divide it up into the roles you play. And for me, um, I kind of look at it in four domains, body, business, being, and balance. So what do I need to accomplish today for my body? Because if I'm not healthy, if I'm not active, not eating well, not sleeping well, I'm not going to really be the person I need to be and everything else I do. What do I need to do today for my being spiritually? Uh, what do I need to read? Quiet time, prayer. Um, you know, what do I need to be in my business? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, increase shareholder value and, and lead my team and impact their lives through the business. And then what do I need to be with balance, which is my family, uh, my marriage, uh, all those kinds of things, my friendships. And so it's just intentionality, man. And, and people use that word intentionality. But what I mean is like actually having a plan written down, having accountability partners mm-hmm. and people you talk to, um, you know, really stretching yourself. Okay. I like that. I like that answer. So this has been a big topic I've asked my friends lately. And I put this out on Instagram has there ever been a time where you didn't make a decision because you were afraid of failure? You know, I don't have like a big, uh, a big example of mm-hmm. that, but I think sometimes in spur of the moment situations, um, I can be bashful, like kind of like if somebody's like, you know, who wants to volunteer first for yeah. this in a class or whatever, you know, I, I get, I get like nervous in those situations. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, but like, for the most part, I feel like I've tried everything I want to do. You know, like I just mm-hmm. watched the Derek Jeter documentary. He's like my that. favorite athlete of all time and he grew up in my era. And like, I'm not ashamed to say like, that's who I wanted to be growing up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I did everything I could to try to be the best baseball player I could be. And it didn't work out, but it led me to another place. And so I always have thought about like, dream big, try. I don't really have a story where I haven't tried to do that. And that's because of my parents. Mm -hmm. That's good right there. Last question on the day. What is your mission for these student athletes? To, to set the stage for the rest of their lives, man. You know, NIL is great. Not because they're going to make a bunch of money. Some will, but you know, if there's 500,000 student athletes, you know, 10 of them are going to make seven figures this year. You know, a hundred might make six figures. Thousand might make five figures, and the other four hundred ninety-nine thousand make four figures at best. NAL is hard, but by going out trying to use your name, image, and likeness, you're actually seeing what your character is, mm-hmm. and you're making connections, and you're learning new passions, and you're setting the stage for the rest of your life. You're thinking of yourself, like LeBron says, as more than an athlete, and that's all I want athletes to do because we're not going to play forever. That's what's up right there. Okay. On the Stuck in My Thoughts podcast, I like to get their, my guest perspective of recommendations in the future. Who should I bring on the show next? Oh, man. Well, before I answer, do you, do you, do you have a certain genre that you, you want, like, people in sports? You want to stay in sports? Or are you thinking man, anyone? I like to go to every audience out there. You know, if it's sports, entertainment, it could be Osmond Frisbee, anybody that's, that, you know, has a great story to tell, is relevant, has, you know, a lot of pool. People want to know what they have to say. Anybody. I'm, I'm open to anybody. Well, there's a lot of great people I could recommend. I think that there are, you know, a lot of young athletes 
that are doing things that are beyond their years from a maturity standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so that's, those are the, the people popping in my head right now. It's been the theme of the show. Uh, one, one gentleman is Sean Clifford, the quarterback for Penn State. Okay. Who started his own agency in the space. And it's really awesome, like, what he's doing already. While he's still the quarterback at Penn State, he's literally running a business every day. I could only imagine um, how beneficial that's going to be for the rest of his life. Um, there are a few others like him in the space. Um, so that, that, I mean, I think finding athletes who because of NIL are already becoming entrepreneurs would be a really cool ad for your show. What's happened to you, Sean? You stay on the lookout. <laughs> Jim, we appreciate you being on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for today's episode. You can catch this video on YouTube and it's going to be streaming on all platforms. Thank you. And we'll see you for the next episode. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir.